That's why we believe software plus physical execution, this is driving value in the supply chain. And if you miss one of the two, so also without technology, I also don't think that you can run an efficient supply chain these days at a certain size. And so you need to make it happen. You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders in industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host, Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Hi, Joachim. Welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. Hello, Benjamin. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the podcast. Could you give me a 60-seconds overview of who you are and what you are doing? My name is uh, Joachim Schaut. I'm responsible at Schenker, what we call ISC, Intercontinental Supply Chain Solutions. So we are making sure that our bigger air and ocean customers get the kind of red carpet service. So we are looking into end-to-end -end solution digitization of supply chain and making sure that our customers are making steps towards their own goals. So to make the supply chain more resilient, more digital, more sustainable, whatever is the target of our customers. So today we will speak about the digitalization of the supply chain. Could you give me a little bit more insights about your role and what your team or department is doing in the context of digitalization of the supply chain? We are taking care about the bigger customers of, of Schenker in Air and Ocean Freight. And in essence, we divide the customers into two sections. One is everything with push supply chain, so more export driven. So there we have a product called freight management. So we are making sure that we book in a digital way with the carriers so that the Shippers don't need to invest in own interfaces with the carriers that we give them end-to-end -end visibility in a digital way, all on a joint platform. And then there is the second part of our product portfolio, which is the order management piece for inbound uh, and pull supply chains. So there we are integrating already on purchase order level, making sure that all the suppliers of our customers are integrated and all the stakeholders are then on one platform so that the customer has end-to-end -end visibility, which gives our customers more room to maneuver in their supply chain. So the earlier they have the information and the more accurate the information is, the better our customers can take decisions and do exception management. In our preparation call, we talked about the digitalization part already a little bit, and we talked about technology as well. And then you mentioned, hey, Benjamin, it's not just about technology, it's about strategy as well, when we talk about digitalization. So what role plays strategy within that process or yeah, within your work? 
I fundamentally believe that only technology does not do the trick. For sure, technology is a very important puzzle piece of the overall supply chain optimization efforts. For example, we at Schenker have an ecosystem, as we call it, with different tech providers. For example, we have our strategic relationship with Infonexus. We are adding also internal capabilities to the solution to make sure that we always have the latest tech solution for our customers ready. But as mentioned, that's only half of the solution. The other half is everything around execution and exception management. So you need boots on the ground everywhere in the world and everywhere in the world is getting more complex. Huh? So everywhere in the world was very focused in the past. We talk imports around China. Now it is China plus de-risking China. So all the strategy, which leads to the fact that you have significantly broader surface of your supply chain. This means your purchase order quantities are getting lower, your frequencies need to get up. All of this uh, leads to more complexity in the supply chain and leads to higher needs of physical services like consolidation and so on. And if there is something wrong, so if you know something is late or something is wrong, then usually as a shipper, you don't have everywhere in the world the competency and the boots on the ground to solve this problem. So this is where we come in with our global network everywhere around the world, where you can then rely on experts who can then actually do something with the output of the data. And I've seen a lot of technology driven projects, which did not meet the expectation in the end. It was this missing execution, which was the missing puzzle piece and which is for sure hard to do if you are a shipper and you deploy a software only solution. So that's why we believe software plus physical execution, this is driving value in the supply chain. And if you miss one of the two, so also without technology, I also don't think that you can run an efficient supply chain these days at a certain size. And so you need to make it happen. Joachim mentioned that the execution part is a very important part. Today, we want to cover three pillars or three areas in the context of the supply chain. First of all, we want to talk about the impact on operations or impact on the workforce when it comes to digitalizing the supply chain. We want to cover the technology topic and we want to go into the sustainability aspect. When we start with the first one and we talk about the impact of digitalization of the supply chain on the operations and on the workforce, so on the execution, as you said, yes. we talked about it in the preparation call and you said that historically supply chain decisions have relied on gut feelings. How are that kind of decisions now being able to be automated or being able to be optimized when digitalization is coming in? If you have the data of the supply chain in a, stored in a scattered way, so stored in Excel files, stored in email boxes of your employees uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and if the data is then worse, there is not accurate or not timely then for sure the only way you can make decisions is based on experience, based on gut feeling, however we want to call it. If we have all data on one platform, then the minimum which you can do is you can take more informed decisions. And you don't need then two, three, four, five days a week, whatever, to, to consolidate your data. You have the data at your fingertips and you can rely on it that it is correct. And that's the beauty of having all supply chain stakeholders on one digital platform. So you can make the decisions faster. You can make them significantly more informed. 
And if we look a little bit into the future, and I would say it's in the making as we speak, yeah? so all the industry trends around artificial intelligence. So once you have all the data in place, you can then also apply artificial intelligence without having the data in one place. So without doing this heavy lifting, you don't even need to think about artificial intelligence because also for artificial intelligence, you need data in a structured way. Help us a little bit more to understand how the role of a human decision maker is looking right now and how that role will evolve in the next years. You already mentioned that there's a difference, for example, between data-informed decision-making or probably automated decision-making in future. How is that looking like? Yes, or partly automated. Yeah, that could be an intermediate mm -hmm. step. If we take very transactional and if we take a little bit the extreme that you really need experience and gut feeling to steer your supply chain, Let's make an example. If you want to reduce the inventory and if you want to increase the inventory cycles of your company, now you have everything in your hand. You have the performance of your suppliers. So is which suppliers are delivering early, late or on time? You have uh, the performance of your logistic service providers. Are they on time? Yes, no. What is the likelihood? So you can take all of this into a mathematical equation. And you don't need gut feeling for that. And with that, you can then decide based on data, okay, for which suppliers shall I switch from factory load to consolidation, for example, and increase the cycle from a monthly cycle to a weekly cycle so that I can reduce my inventories and speed up my supply chain. So things like this are now possible based on data and are possible since a long time. Yeah, it's not so much the technology which is hindering this progress. It's more than, let's say, the execution of in certain industries. So it's not that this technology is totally new. The new piece is coming now with the partly or automated decision. So if you take, for example, consolidation decisions, load plan decisions at origin, in the past you needed people to really make something out of the data. This is something which can be for sure automated with artificial intelligence. But everybody is focusing now on this artificial intelligence and machine learning aspect of it. The new kid on the block, I would say, and which is for sure in a development phase. But the basics that you can bring all supply chain partners on one platform, this exists since years or even, I would say, even decades. And there, I think, especially in, in Europe, we have an execution problem. Yeah? So still a lot of supply chains are run by Excel and email. Although the technology is there since decades and it's a proven technology which works. Yeah? So I think it's not so much technology, it's more or the execution part, which we are missing. A very interesting topic. I talk about the execution gap in the context of digitalization a lot with manufacturing companies as well. And yeah, the big question is what is hindering probably the workforce, the operators or the decision makers to be faster in that transformation? By talking to so many companies on exactly this topic, I would even go that far and would categorize it in, in pre-COVID and after COVID. So pre-COVID, mm -hmm. the biggest hindering factor was a return on investment question. So if I need to spend money on supply chain digitization, where is the return for my company? And is it for my company more important in comparison with, I don't know, a marketing technology or whatever else? So there usually logistics took the backseat inside a lot of companies and did not get the money or the capital to make it happen. Now, within COVID, everybody who did not have it, now everybody knows where the return is, right? So that question totally disappeared. So I've never heard it since. 
And before COVID, it was in all of my customer interactions. Now this question completely disappeared because everybody understands what a resilient supply chain and a digital supply chain means versus a non-resilient supply chain. Now it completely shifted to a deployment problem. So as most of the companies have worked still in bigger or smaller, depends on the company, I would say, but silos. For example, you have procurement in one silo, you have supply chain management in another silo, and then worst case, you even have logistics procurement, which is another silo, which is totally different targets. Yeah? And to bring them together to make this happen, because it's a holistic game. For a lot of companies, it is super hard to achieve that internal harmonization because you need to break up the silos. Otherwise, an integrated solution does not deliver the value which you are expecting from it. Let's stick with the first point you mentioned, the return on invest and how much potential lies in the transformation. And when I, for example, talk with manufacturing companies and we talk about the digitalization of the factory, one of the biggest and the most frequently mentioned return on invest points, which I get in a conversation is, we will save paper because we are digitalizing the factory. And then I say, okay, this makes sense on the one hand side, but I think we are underestimating what kind of benefits lie in that digitalization of the factory, which we don't see right now, but it's probably the data and the optimizations which we can deliver based on the data and so on. But the first point is we will save paper. And do you see it the same that there's probably a lot of benefit and value within the transformation, but you do not see it at first place. Yes, yes. And I want to maybe make a concrete example on that. If we take a digital auto management solution for an inbound shipper, for example, yeah. then it is clear if they have digitized their supply chain and if all stakeholders work on there, then we see it in all use cases that the buyers, if it is integrated, so the one who procure the goods, that they start to take out buffer. And this has a significant effect to the speed of the supply chain and at the end of the inventory levels. And if you do a 10% inventory level improvement, then you save millions, usually because shippers that I work with, we talk millions of cash flow. And now in times that money is not for free anymore, this also has a cost effect. Coming back to your question before, so if you save cash flow and if you have a big inventory effect, you are making the supply chain more resilient. You are making it faster, so more performant uh, towards your own customers, and you have effect in your balance sheet. But what you don't have is a cost saving on paper in your procurement process. So if now logistics procurement is frontally isolated from this, they have no interest at all to procure such a solution because in the end it is increasing their spend. But on the other side of the balance sheet, it has millions of positive effects. I think that's a very concrete example, which displays very much on where potential saving could be and how to make it happen. Then you mentioned the second point where you said, so after COVID, it's now about how to make the transformation happen. And it's a very concrete problem. For example, every stakeholder needs to come on one platform. And this sounds a little bit like an all or nothing decision. And this is probably hard to take. I hear that again from the manufacturing space a lot when it comes to the digitalizations of the manufacturing sites. Mm -hmm. So usually you start with one site, but of course, as a manufacturing company, you want to have all sites on one digital platform. And here are probably the same challenges because digitalizing all sites at once is perceived as a huge risk. But when you do it step by step, it will take long and you have to take care of every site and the transformation is being postponed here and there or takes too long. 
So how do you solve it now after COVID? Yeah, so that's indeed a pin line. But let me start with your one. So a, a risky decision. What we think is that there is solutions available, which are market standards. So that's why exactly in this space, we are partnering with an industry leader in software and we did not do a Schenker own software yeah, because we totally see that point. If you want to invest there, that you need also long-term security and there are market solutions for sure. A way to get around this risk instead of investing into a proprietary solution from a freight forwarder, for example. So you can manage that risk. Now, the question on the deployment. For sure, a big bang is something which we never recommend and hardly do. Sometimes it's not possible otherwise, but in most of cases, there's a phased approach. Now, where's the thin line? The thin line is that the phases should not be too small. If they are too small, if they are too lengthy, and if you then start to entertain change proposals of a very small group of people in your company, which are not representative for the coming waves, and if you start to entertain this, then you have a real problem because then you are customizing the solution to a very few people. And if you then get to the next place, suddenly the customization from this few people does not fit. For me, the takeaway number one is it needs to be a project team that always has in mind the overall picture and not only the pilot phase requirement, so to say. So I think that is super important. And the second one is the phases should not be too small. Now. So if we talk about order management implementation or freight management is similar. We usually talk about 12 weeks implementation time to get the infrastructure up and running. And if we take then another 12 weeks to really then deploy the phases, that's for me a good timeline. Then you half a year later, you are really globally live. That's achievable. But if you start to move into a multi-year exercise, the longer it takes, then there is this questions of, did it now change my life or, or not? Uh, is it now easier or not? And then usually the answer is no, because if you only are partly live, then you still have another part where you need to entertain all these Excel files and emails. And to bring that then together is usually also an effort, which is underestimated. So I would not recommend a big bang. But I would for sure recommend bigger phases that leads you to a time window of, I would say, 12 weeks of deployment. You mentioned to a certain extent there are still technologies in use like Excel and email and so on. And you talk about your role and your product with DB Schenker. Could you give us a real life example where you say, here I had a project and we started with legacy technology and then you moved into the solution which you are providing with DB Schenker? and how that looked like on a high level. So that's, I would say, 75, 80% of our projects start like this. So usually the customer is very experienced in ERP. So you don't find big companies who are not digitized at all, right? This does not exist anymore. But usually when you cross the border of the company, so supply chain is always a game of a lot of involved parties, which are not under your direct control, but which have an influence of your supply chain performance, where you need the data from. So if you move beyond also a lot of, let's say, mix of technologies, or then people, for example, if you take Ocean Freight, then people start to track and trace on Vessel Finder homepages and so on. So for sure that's technology, but that's not what we want to achieve because it's highly inefficient for the workforce. And usually we start with that and then we do a kind of inventory taking, right? So where is the information? In what hand is it? How do you structure it today? What are your capabilities of EDI or API? Because in most of the cases, 
it needs to the final situation that you have your supply chain platform, which then needs to be interfaced with your ERP. So that's usually two very different ball games, and usually an interface is the best way to do it. Huh? So this stock taking on where data is today and where it should be tomorrow is super important to do the solution design. Then we go through a solution design phase. We have a look on, let's say, what is our experience, what are our best practices that we bring to the table, and what is the expectation from our customers. And then we bring it together, and then we decide, okay, what is the technology stack we need for these requirements? And then we move on to the final implementation phase. And then step-by-step, step, we replace Excel files, we replace emails. We move mm -hmm. forward on that, but I can tell you it's a change management process. It's not a technology problem. The first thing I usually hear from customers is, where can I download it to Excel? And I think there is a very good picture to describe that. I heard it on one of the supply chain conferences, so it's not my picture. I've also stolen it. Like you have a cassette recorder and then you move to Spotify and you want to go to the platform of Spotify and download the song to your cassette, right? That's exactly what happens. And that shows that request is an expression that the change management did not work. With DB Schenker, you are acting globally and I assume you already implemented a lot of different projects around the globe. I'm talking about that culture of change or that openness for change. Do you see differences, for example, between Europe and other countries when it comes to how fast is a project, how bold are customers to take decisions? If we compare, for example, North America with Europe, then mm -hmm. what I see is that the North American companies are further down the road with digitization. Yeah, So they seem to, I don't know, is it because they are more open? I, I cannot judge this, but if we compare North America with Europe, then in North America, there is not a lot of untapped territory left. Usually, most of the companies have some sort of solution uh, in place. In Europe, there is still a lot of untapped territory, as we call it, where we, let's say, don't need to send our solutions against a competitor where we need to send against a greenfield, yeah? so the customer is not yet convinced that he needs to entertain that. And I think it has to do also with some risk culture. If we look only five, eight years back, then the biggest argument that customers brought forward was that there was a risk involved in cloud technology. I don't know if you remember these days, but there was... Oh, yes. Yeah, there was really, I'm not sure if, if it was fear, but a kind of risk assessment that cloud technology is a risk for the data and what happens with the data and what if a hacker hacks and blah, blah, blah. Now for sure, 10, 8, 10 years later, we all know the opposite is true, right? So cloud technology is to secure yourself from cyber attacks. But I think it's a very concrete example on where the differences are. Yeah? So I never had this cloud discussion with a US-based company, for example, yeah? never. Um, and with European companies, yeah. eight years ago, it was every second conversation with a shipper was around the top. There's still a lot of room to digitalize the supply chain and probably even more room here in Europe. Joachim, we are coming to the end of the episode. And last but not least, we want to talk about one very important topic. Sustainability is a pressing concern. And my question is to you, how does digitalization of the supply chain tie into that sustainability efforts, because I could argue we talk about AI, we talk about digital platforms, they consume, for example, a lot of energy. So the data centers are consuming a lot of energy. Sometimes we underestimate that. 
what kind of impact on our power supply is coming from Netflix, Facebook, Instagram, and so on. So how do you connect that two topics? Yeah, so you're absolutely correct. I think one thing is important to mention before that, that if we talk air, ocean, also partly land, we can already today move the goods 100% CO2 neutral. There is today alternative fuels available like biofuel in ocean freight or SAF in air freight, which is today already open for everybody to share the goods completely CO2 neutral. Yes, it is a rich technology, but it's something where we can actively start today. Uh, so that's, I think, an important message I want to bring across because some people don't know that it is available today yeah. already. I didn't know that before. Yeah. 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 Now coming to the data, data will help us to optimize the supply chain because in the absence of data, then you only can ship less. Uh, but usually that's not really an option. What we provide and where we think uh, it needs to go is to have significantly more granular data so that you need to know on a specific route, let's say from Shanghai to Hamburg, that you exactly know on which ship is my container, what is the fuel consumption of this ship, and what is the exact route this ship is taking. Because then you can break it down to your individual container and you can break down also the CO2 equivalent emissions to your container, and then you can take informed decisions. Huh? Then you can select other vendors who have better CO2 metrics. You can select vendors with alternative fuels, because then you will be able to see that. Huh? And you need to do that in compliant way so that you also can use then this calculations for your CO2 reporting, which is in a lot of cases mandatory. So that's on the pure consumption. But for sure, you can also use the data to drive things like container utilization. So if you have underutilized containers and you can see it and you can see where they're coming from, then you can take action. You can bring them to console center, consolidate it with other cargo, which you also know from your database. And then you can lift your average consolidation factor of your containers. And if you do that, then you remove some of your containers of your supply chain completely, which saves CO2. What we also see is if you have an end-to-end -end view of your supply chain, then you have less urgent matters to take care about. So the more urgent it is, the more likely you as a shipper are requesting fast boat services, you are requesting truck instead of barge and for the pre-carriage in Europe. And all of this is consuming a lot of CO2. So there's two aspects. Yeah? One, one, you can optimize your supply chain, which is driving CO2 out completely, like the two examples that I mentioned. And then the second one is you need to see it and you need to be able to report it. So if you just take the average on a route to report the CO2 data, then for sure it's not different if you take a truck from Hamburg to Düsseldorf to deliver to your warehouse instead of the barge because it's urgent. But if you are granular enough in your data, then you can see the difference of the two alternatives. I try to combine what you said right now. You mentioned the end-to-end -end logistics process. And you said to a certain extent, you already can move stuff from A to B 100% carbon-free. How is the vision of logistics for you looking like when you connect it to the sustainability point and you want to have end-to-end -end logistic process with all stakeholders being within that process and this process is 100% carbon-free? How is that vision looking like and how long will it take us? As mentioned at the moment, the fuel topic is for sure one of the most 
critical items that needs to be addressed. So we are having biofuel SAF, but as mentioned, that's only available as a bridge technology that will not be the future. So we need sustainable produced issuers. That's already clear. The ships can take it. So it's about the fuel production as such. And that's why we think this biofuel in SAF is very important because it shows a demand. It shows the willingness to invest into these alternative fuels. And if companies now need to build, put billions into building up a new fuel infrastructure around the world, they are very sensitive to see if there is a market for it, yes or no. So that's why today's biofuel is so important. So the fuel aspect is one item which we need to solve and which we will solve. Will it be 2030? Will it be 2040? I also don't know. I, I hear different figures, but I think anyhow, it's more important to do a step today and tomorrow, every day, a step, and then we will reach the target for sure. If we look then into air freight, same thing. There are the fuel will drive it. If you look at pre and on carriage, then it depends. Yeah? So we already today have e-bouchers available. For example, in Norway, we have a project for one of our customers where the barge distribution is already completely driven by electrical power and where also the ships will become in the next two, three years, these barges will become totally autonomous. So also technology plays a role in that. And then on the tracking side, for sure, the electrification of the fleet is moving ahead. Question mark is maybe about hydrogen. How will it develop? Will it play a bigger role? Yes, no. On the long wall, for example. And then there is the overarching topic, for example, in Europe of the whole infrastructure. How do we produce that energy that goes then into the electrical vehicles also? It's for sure very important there. So you can have an electrified fleet of your trucks, but if then the power for this electrical fleet is done by coal mines, then it's not neutral. neutral yeah? It's an effort that many players need to pay into, but I have the feeling that there is really more and more demand for that. What we can see at Schenker is that a lot of shippers are moving from PowerPoint to real actions now. Yeah? So this happens only in the last one or two years. Before that, it was a lot of, I would say, PowerPoints and posters on the walls, but not concrete action. But now people really take money in their hands and do something. One yeah. thing is for sure, the transformation will not come for free. That's also clear. Joachim, that are great closing words from PowerPoint to real actions. Thanks for being on the podcast. I learned a lot. It was really inspiring and looking forward to see you probably in one of the episodes next year to talk again about sustainability because it's a very broad and very important topic. And we just had time at the end of the podcast. But in general, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you for listening. And we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.